Good afternoon and welcome to Find Your Sparkle with Jen, where you'll be inspired, informed, and entertained. I'm your host, Jennifer Stewart, owner of Jazz Potential and creator of Find Your Sparkle. And today I am super excited to have my friend and fellow Toastmaster, Gary Belding, with us from New Brunswick. Welcome, Gary. Thank you, Jennifer. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, you know, it's always it's always great to talk to you and to see you and I hadn't seen you for a while so we recently got to uh, have a little chat in Moncton and thought you know what it would be a great time to have you come on find your sparkle with Jen so here we are all right that's great no it's super so give us a little bit of an idea of who Gary is I know that you grew up in in New Brunswick but you've got such a, a great energy about you and you've always got you know a great smile and you're always very encouraging to everyone what made you like that Gary give us a sense of who you are all right my brag moment I guess but no <laughs> growing up in Fredericton was great a lovely city I uh, learned the business experience very early in age my father left on a really good job and decided to go into business so at 16 years old I was thrown into a business environment and where all the family had to work together so no that was a good experience yeah. And again, moved on to other things, went through the high school system in Fredericton, UNB, graduate in business in 77, way back, and just enjoyed like the business world. I was always fascinated by business, what you could do in business. So I really wanted to follow that theme throughout my career. So worked for my dad for a number of years, went out on my own for a while. Ended up, because I needed a job, ended up working for the province of New Brunswick in economic development for almost 33 years. Oh, wow. That was a great career. And, yeah. In the last three, uh, 13 years, I say 13, 14 years, I was manager of programs. So I really got to see uh, firsthand business, how business operates, and evaluating good business projects, proposals, investment opportunities, those kind of things. So that was really still in the connection with the business community. So that worked out very well. And then I retired at a young old age. And... Uh, uh, and then decided to go on my own and set my own business. I did a uh, leave of absence back in the 80s. And in the words of Darren LaCroix, the professional uh, public speaker, it was valuable negative information. <laughs> Great experience, but I learned the hard way that, you know, uh, money can di dictate your, your next steps. Oh, my golly. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that there are many people who could probably who will, well, who will resonate with that. And, and I think that that's a, that's a really important lesson to learn. So I'd love to hear more about that. I would say in the 80s, I was in my early 30s at the time. And it would be, I had planned, planned it at least a year in advance. I was able to secure a leave of absence for up to a year. But again, I was on my own, no other income. I had three young children at home. So it really was a real, maybe the timing was off a little bit. Right. But the opportunity was there, but it actually took me longer than I thought to actually start producing cash flow. So that was a real, real worry stream, I guess, at that point. So but again, great experience. But again, just the old expression that you just you ran out of time, ran out of money. Right. And I had to make a decision, you know, it's, it's either, you know, fish or cut bait at that time. Do I go into further in debt or do I go back and get to my regular job, which I actually had to make that decision. And I think the family thing, really, family comes first. So I had to make sure I protected my family. So, But a good, great experience. I'd recommend if you're in a, in a situation you can do that. Because it's a whole new world when you're out there on your own. It's a real wide world, great opportunity. But again, the money just didn't come right. in the terms that I had hoped it would do. I did, you know, cash flows and all those kind of good things. Great on paper, but not 
in a real-life situation. So, But a great experience. Now, this time that I'm on my own now, I retired eight years ago. I'm doing it on my own now, on my own business. That's worked out much better because I don't rely on the business right. so much for the income. Well, you've but got again, a pension, I can so do it helps. on a better pace at my own terms. And it's worked out better, for sure. Oh, my golly. So your sole purpose when you took that year off in, in the 80s was to build your own business. Is that? Yes, okay. yes. And I was into commercial real estate. I was doing helping people in the business. I was doing, actually, I had a real estate license, which enabled me to actually sell businesses to the open market, for example. I worked okay. for the buyers or the sellers. Right. I was doing some financial proposals, site locations, very exciting, but I think it was early. I was really early in the marketplace. People weren't ready for that. They wanted the service, but they weren't willing to pay for it. Right, exactly. So again, it was, yeah, it was a, again, great learning experience, but again, trying to get folks to actually, you know, pay up, it's, it's pay time. So I just found it difficult cash flow wise, but again, you know, and that's really what I'm doing now to a smaller extent. I'm doing some of those services now, but it's, I, I've learned from my experience, which, again, helps for sure. Yeah, definitely. So when you look back in the 80s versus now, I remember, I mean, I, I, I can recall thinking like the entrepreneurial world was so unknown and so scary and so risky, and people were a lot of times deterred from doing that. However, it's a complete shift nowadays where I, fi- I feel that it's the complete opposite. What's your take on that, Gary? I would say you do have to follow the demographics for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I had an office there. I had overhead, all those things. And you have to be careful. It's like the old thing. We, we always like to own the, own the property, own the building or something. I was renting, which is great. But you can actually get into situations where your overhead really is – is a concern right now. I got a home-based business. Right. I monitor the expenses. So again, just you have to watch those things and the timing of the things. How many employees you want? And I used to see that when I was in in the in the province as well. That companies just spend too much getting up and running because fifty percent, believe it or not, of bankruptcies are companies in a growth mode. They ran out of money. They had right. a great opportunity, great things, but they somehow they just ran out of money in order to fund that operation. And, I, and again, that's where I, I was. I was doing all good things, but I just wasn't, the cash flow wasn't there. The bank, as we all know, has no sense of adventure when right. it comes to lending money. So again, it really became a situation that, you know, it had to be looked at from the outside and say, no, this, it, it's time to kind of close the door. But again, there is different times. You're right, different times now than it was back then. I think people have learned. And again, shifts. Look at the stores that have closed right. over the last few years. My because golly. of the online buying and all that kind of Same thing. They were just slow to react. And now that we, we have all of this change, there are, our whole job industry is changing. So entrepreneurship is really becoming, I feel, is becoming a lot more popular. And people working from their homes you yes, know, it'll be interesting because everything now. Your location isn't as important, especially no. if you're in the IT sector. Everything's off, you know, on the computer, on your laptop, or on your on your cell phone, for that matter. So again, the location isn't isn't as critical because the worldwide market is there. As opposed to in my situation, I was looking at the local domestic market, and I really was restricting myself in that context. But th- then you're lucky if you even had a, a desktop computer. 
Oh my golly! And they were huge and cumbersome and awful. Oh, they were. <laughs> yes. I just got a well, flashback. The, the portables. They used to call them portables, but I think they were luggables because oh they were God. heavy devices. Same as the phones. The old bag phones oh we used to have Lord. in the eighties. Same oh thing. And they so weighed yes, probably twenty pounds. Technology has moved a lot quicker than it did. <laughs> oh my gosh! Absolutely. So when you think back, what were your biggest? If you had three lessons learned, because you were young at that, really young at that time, yes. and and that was a, I mean that in a young family, so that was that was a huge undertaking. Your big three lessons learned from that period of time. I would say, be be properly capitalized. Have mm. enough money for at least six months to a year that you can operate with including your own income, and also begin just to pay the expenses. But really, I was looking at a three- to four-month cash flow really when it took six months to a year. Right, and I think and that I, that's a pretty common thing that we, yes, we do. Yes, yes. And again, I would say the market presence for sure. Mm -hmm. I was there. I was new to the market. I was trying to take business in a whole new direction, and that learning curve was longer than I thought. Right. And again, if you do have a specialized service, the same thing. Be prepared for a lengthy entry because, again, it can take longer. What would you and do I differently? Think, oh, sorry, Jennifer, sorry. Sorry. What would you do differently now if, you, if the same situation going in knowing what you know now? Again, I would say proper cap, be proper capitalized. Decide and grow slowly. There's an uh, expression, premature scaling. Don't grow too fast. Right. Just slow. And again, before you start hiring employees, have the work for those employees and perhaps employees on piecework or on contract first, and then but grow gradually. It's too bad that a lot of companies, they're so quick, and they just want to escalate, and that's when they run into problems. As I mentioned, the 50% failure rate are companies that are growing too quickly. Right. I mean, I've seen, I've witnessed that, you know, with, with just even local businesses around here. There's a couple of, you know, local businesses that started well and then franchised, and I don't know. It, then next thing you know, they're not there, and it's a shame because they were really great, yes. really, really great. Um, moving forward, what would you tell people today that are, and, and especially now that you've got your business and you're, you know, you're successful and you've got your clientele and you pretty much can work anywhere, what would be your advice to people who are contemplating starting their own vice in your industry? starting their own business, I should say, in your industry? Well, I would say, again, know your client base for sure. Again, knowing, like I say, what they want. And really, you have to ask some very tough questions to folks because business is not for everyone. No, it's, I that's right. I do meet with clients from time to time, and I'm saying, are you ready for this? You know, they'd have a young family at home, like I'm talking infant families at home, and their priorities seem to be the family as it should be. Family and health always come first. But again, I see too often that people just are not ready. They're right. not posed. This is not the right timing for them. The market's not ready yet. And again, financially, they're not ready. So very, a lot of things I was saying earlier, that people just aren't ready. Yeah. What can people do to prepare besides, you know, I mean, obviously you have to do, to do your research for externally, but what about inside and internally? How can you prepare internally for this venture? Because it's, it's a huge thing. What is, especially, let's take the home-based business, for example. Again, that takes a discipline. Yeah. As you're working from home, your hours are different. Your hours are actually, they're not straightforward. They're not nine to five. You could be working a lot of evenings because you're sitting at home. You're saying, well, I should be in the office doing something. So you go into your office. So really separating the personal from the business when you're yeah. operating from home. And again, watching the expenditures from home, watching the hours, scheduling your time, 
don't let your clients dictate the times, even though you have to work that, you know, obviously you have to be, you know, flexible. But again, determine your time, sticking to an agenda. Don't let an hour turn into three hours. Right. And always, kind of just, again, watch your time because your time is very important, especially if you're offering a service because that's your time. And sometimes clients don't want to pay for time because they don't look at the actual expense. But your time is what you're offering. Oh, my golly. That's, that is definitely true. Have you had any problems with, you know, outside forces working from home? Outside forces, I guess, like, Jennifer, what in well, I guess, context? Like, I, have, I have my own business and I work from home. And we just recently moved. I think I had mentioned that. Yes. Um, but sometimes it's hard to put boundaries into place for, you know, for drop-ins and that kind of thing. Yes. But no, you're right. You're right about that. And I'm in the same situation. I just moved in September. So I'm in a townhouse, and again, parking is somewhat limited oh uh, access. And the actual describing my location, because the address doesn't really dictate where I am. So you're right. A lot of those factors come into play. Now, in some cases, I do meet at the client at their location, with okay. the client at their location. Okay. Sometimes gonna, I arrange sorry, meetings. I in a, let's say, for example, if it's an IT thing and the company's really not mobile, I will meet at the Knowledge Park, for example. You can okay. actually rent a room there. Oh, that's so good. So I, I try to accommodate the client in that sense. And people that I do know, I can meet them, sure, I can meet them at my home. But my location isn't designated, uh, Business. like say, commercial. Right. It's R1 or R2, which is, you know, residential location. But again, the odd time I can do uh, like one-on-one visit. If for several people, I will meet at their location or I'll rent a room at the Knowledge Park. Perfect. That's a great segue into our break. We're going to have a quick one and we'll be right back. You're listening to CIOE 97.5 FM. Welcome back to Find Your Sparkle with Jen and welcome back, Gary. Now, Gary, before we were talking about your business side of things and, and what you're doing now, and I know that you do a lot of extra stuff besides your business. You and I have had some great conversations in the past, and I know you do a lot of volunteer stuff. Yes. And uh, you also do some acting. Can you talk a little bit about that? We'll start with some volunteer sure. things. Sure. Sure. That's a great opportunity. My older brother uh, was an actor in theater, and I think some of that kind of flowed down through the family. I always wanted to try it. And then my youngest son, oddly enough, right out of high school, left and went to Vancouver Film School, and he's still oh. there. He went in 2003. Wow. And I joke now, my, my favorite little line is, uh, Tom is the actor of the family. I'm just trying to get by my good looks. <laughs> but again, I found, again, the similarities between Toastmasters and acting was, was very quite a good, you know, a parallel between the two. But acting, I went, first, my first acting role, I actually went into the Canada Russia series that was filmed in 2005 oh. in Fredericton. And I just went as an extra. And I found out, first of all, they're very long, long days. Oh, yes. Oh, my golly. You can 12, 14, 16-hour days would not be, you know. Understatement. Other than usual, for sure. No. So it was a crowd of, oh, at least 400 people. And it's funny, and the same thing happened in the film Forrest Gump. They put everybody in the corner to do the corner scenes, and when they moved around the rink, they moved the they moved the extras up and down the the rink or in the seats because they want to make sure all the seats were filled. Right. So it's funny how they do those things and the things you learn on set. Again, you know how they do the long shot and the close ups, and they do a lot of shots several times. Yes. So that was an interesting thing, but again, the big thing for me I learned, and again the parallel to Toastmasters is acting is not acting. Acting is being natural. If you memorize your line, same as you memorize a speech, it'll show. You have to deliver the message. 
You don't have to go word for word, line for line, as long as you convey that message. That's a big, big difference that folks that are memorizing their lines or memorizing their speech. It has to flow naturally like we're talking now. Oh, you totally. can't sound memorized. And with acting, too, there's always an arc in the scene and an arc in the character. Right. There has to be a change from the beginning to the end. So it has to be a transition in that, that actually to make the film interesting or even to make your speech interesting in Toastmaster. So yes. again, being natural and forming that arc. And, and acting, one little thing I learned very early, it's not as supportive as uh, Toastmasters would be because <laughs> the director is a dictator. Oh, yes. And you, do, and you do what they tell you to do, and you keep on going until they say cut. If you make a mistake, keep going until you hear the word cut so you don't stop. So again, a lot of times when you hear that and they want to do it again because film stock is so, so expensive, you have to make sure you know your lines, you're on time, and just be natural. That is, that's, that's amazing. Can you talk about some of the cool shows and movies and things that you have acted in? Because I know you've got a I few, was in some pretty cool Copperhead, ones. which was filmed in 213 in, in uh, outside King's, well, King's Landing outside of Fredericton in 2013. And I was in scenes with Jason Patrick, Billy Campbell, and Peter Fonda, Ooh. the late Peter Fonda. And again, one thing you don't do on a set, especially as a young actor, or a new actor, maybe I should say, is don't stargaze. You're not there oh. to get autographs or your picture taken. That can come maybe in time, but you're there to deliver your lines, your scene. And if you're told to stand there and say things, that's what you do. You follow the direction. You don't stargaze. And a lot of times I've seen people do that, and that's very disruptive. But again, Copperhead was interesting. I was in oh, a couple of small feature films, but they were local films. Brian goes on a date, and I was actually I was always pleased that, that my, my name was in the opening credits, which was good. But I had the opportunity to work with the director to develop the character. Oh, my nice. vision of the character was different than the director's, and it was his script, his show. So, again, we developed the character, and I had to be an intoxicated individual. Okay. And I said, okay, I could do that. I, I may have done that a few times on my own. <laughs> but again, it was just, he said, no, I want you over the top. Because normally if you're intoxicated, you try not to be intoxicated. But he said, no, no, I want you over that. So it was very interesting developing okay. that character. We spent several days working on the character together. Wow. So that was interesting. And also the bonus is getting paid sometimes for doing your, your skills. So getting paid is always nice when you're doing some of these shows. The other one... Um, Sticks and Stones was the hockey movie that was actually a recreation of the, of the film, or of the, of the actual activity. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other movies. And the other one that I enjoyed, and it was one of the first ones I did back in 2006, I was in an episode of Dark Waters of, of Crime. Oh. And I played, like, I, it was a recreation of a uh, murder, and I looked like the police detective. That's why I was cast, but I had to go oh. to an open casting call. <laughs> and deliver the lines, but I was actually, you know, playing that character. And it's been on television a number of times on the Owen, the Oprah Winfrey Network. Okay, yeah. And again, that one was interesting because I remember having my own wardrobe person, my own uh, trailer, all those kind of things. Because I was told after the fact I was the only actor that day because they were doing the scenes. And I remember they came knocking on my door and they were walking along. And the uh, first assistant director was saying, actor on set. And I was looking around for the actor. Oh, there's an actor here. I was looking around. I didn't realize the time was me. They were, I was walking on the, on the set. So That's cute. That was interesting, yeah. But no, all those experiences are good. When you have a whole crew there of about 15 or 20 people all focused on you, 
had to do a telephone conversation, which actually no one on the other end. So you're having a conversation by yourself. Little things like that you learn quickly. But again, being natural is uh, really paramount. Acting natural. Don't pretend you're acting being natural. So that was my first real experience, again, the dark wars of crime, which is still on every once in a while. I just see it by accident. So <laughs> it's interesting. And a lot of times they pay you for the reruns, but sometimes right. they buy out that. They call it buy out your trailer. So again, uh, you just get a one-time fee. But it's interesting how that business, and it always is a business like any other business. Yes. They, they have to make money. They have to, on time, they have to they have budget. I actually have done a few uh, roles as a production accountant that I worked on films that I controlled the, the money thing, or at least accounted for the money, submission for the tax credits and so on. So I've seen the film industry from both sides, from the crew side as well as the cast side. So it's been very interesting. The opportunities aren't as, as uh, present as they used to be around here because a lot of times the money thing, it's the tax mm-hmm. credits that draw yeah. uh, productions to the different communities. So I wish there was more. However, they are where they are. So it's uh, but interesting. Have you done all of your acting in New Brunswick or have you gone outside of New Brunswick? I would say right now it's, it's within New Brunswick for sure. Okay. I've, I have a few interviews. I went to an interview in Toronto one time and my son in Vancouver asked me to come out for a, a role just as a boss in the office. And oddly enough, he didn't tell me he was competing against was Dan Aykroyd. Oh my God. Who was he posing them. <laughs> and apparently they didn't want Dan because he wanted too much money. Right. So again, I did go for the interview for that. However, it just is one of those things. It can be sometimes, uh, you know, a cattle call. They call so many yeah. people and they're looking for a certain look. Yeah. And that's what it takes because they re- recognize that everyone could do, do the, uh, you know, do the role. However, let's get the best person possible that fit our little criteria and sometimes they know it when they see it well exactly and it was it was interesting in when when i was in hollywood we had a couple of actresses that were staying in the in the same place that we were and it was constantly it was the the cattle call and it was you know she never knew and it was just you know i wasn't the look that they wanted it wasn't the yes. accent that they wanted it was right well, it, it was, it's right they want a certain even commercials yes they really are very you know they're looking for, they have a predetermined and what they want. Even you walk, I've done a number of auditions. Great, I had a breakdown, but no, that's not what they wanted. They just wanted a different kind of look. You know, all of, maybe it's, you know, your physical look as well as your, you know, your presentation itself. So it's, it's really, a, it's a tough industry. It really is. It's oh like being gosh. a musician as well. It's very, yeah. very tough. It is definitely. I think I had mentioned to you, my son just got into the industry and he's loving it, but it's always, you know, it's always, there's, there's challenges sometimes to get regular gigs. Ninety percent of all actors have another job. Only less than less than ten percent make a living acting in the world. Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy. So it's amazing. Yeah, it really is. What about for the future? Where do you see your your role in the future? I mean, I know that Toastmasters, I think, is always going to be part of your life, just like it will be for me. But what other things do you see, Gare, when you do your your next chapter? What does that entail? My next chapter, I, I'm just developing now, and I may have mentioned that I'm doing presentations and workshops. I enjoy that part of it, right? Because and I didn't realize that people would pay good money to hear me talk. Like I still, I still amazed when I walk away. And say, wow, <laughs> they just paid me thirteen hundred dollars for a day session. It was only six hours to hear me ramble about, you know, some topics that I may be comfortable with. Yes. So again, I really enjoy, you know, I, I say that jokingly, but again, a lot of prep time goes into the presentations. Oh my goodness. So it's not, it's not just the day you present it. All the work is done before you even show up that day. But I enjoy doing workshops. I've developed a few. I've developed a few. The uh, transitioning from hobby to business 
and I actually have done five in the province. Uh, I'm trying to think. Business and taxes for for artists like actors, uh, people making crafts, people in in bands, for example. So I've done one because they got in trouble because they they were paid a T4A, for example, right. and didn't know what that was. Yes. They didn't claim it, and CRA came knocking at their door. So I actually did a session on the, the preliminary thing. A hobby is one thing, a business is the next. But I was surprised the number of artists came to a presentation I did here in Fredericton at the Brunswick Film Co-op that they, you know, it was over 55 people there saying, we didn't realize we had to claim that income. Wow. So just treating their business like a business. I'm saying just because you're an artist doesn't put you in any other category. You should have a record-keeping system. Mm -hmm. You have to pay your bills. You have to claim income. You can claim your expenses. Here's what you can claim as a home-based business. All those kind of things, you know, setting up your accounting system, all those kind of things. I kept it at the very low pace, the very low, low level so they could understand and follow it like anyone a lot of the professional you know accounting firms could put on the presentation but are they familiar with that industry well and you know what it does make a huge difference and i know from myself i've worked with a lot of entertainers and artists and and it's it is a huge thing so i'm just going to say this right now is you and i should talk more about that off (laughs) because it definitely is a great service and i know that there are lots of people who could use that we're almost out of time gary but i wanted to get your your three best life lessons that you'd like to share with our audience before we go. Life lessons. I would say, growing up, your school is your job. I didn't do well in school. I did better in university, but I didn't learn early enough. Your, your school is your job. Do well and choose the right career because it can be limited. If you do not have the right grades, that will limit your career so i would say focus on your job in school and do better in school that's awesome the other uh, one is again choose the right career a lot of times people you know they choose the wrong career because they need a job i think i was a victim of that in my early career just don't get a job enjoy the job you, you, you like and a lot of people i have an expression too that a lot of people have quit their jobs they're still there. They show up. They get paid, but they quit years ago. They have no more initiative. Oh the gosh. other third one I would say is family. I can't stress enough of a happy family. I'm very fortunate to have three grown sons, and I have three beautiful granddaughters. So again, I've enjoyed those when they were at an early age. So enjoy your family. I can't stress enough how supportive that can be as a family. Whatever you do out life, when you come home, you have your family to fall back on. They're so there. Really your family is key. Absolutely. Key ingredient for sure. It has been an absolute pleasure having you here, Gary. I look forward to when we can cross paths again face to face. My pleasure, Jennifer. And Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. You're very welcome. We'll catch you next time on CIOE. You're listening to Find Your Sparkle with Jen. And remember, go out and do something that makes you sparkle today. We'll see you next time.